0: to look this morning at overcoming the obstacle of stress. How many of you have any stress in your life? The rest of you are just taking a lot of Advil, aren't you? <laughs> All of us have stress. Stress comes with living. It's a part of life. You, the only way you're going to get rid of stress is to die. If you don't have things taken care of, then your family is going to be stressed out. All of us deal with stress, and stress can accumulate in our lives to the point where we begin to crack under the load of the stress, and we begin to break under the pressure uh, that we sense, that we feel it can be real or imagined. But stress begins to accumulate and build up in us from events, circumstances, people, things, change that happens in us. One day we realize we're under the gun and we're weighted down and we're about to crack and we're about to fold because of the pressure and the stress. I sat down and just thought through the last eight months of my life. Lost my dad in January. He didn't leave his estate in proper form. I've been back and forth with lawyers for the last seven months trying to figure that out and figure out what he's going to have to pay Uncle Sam and, and what our, our children get in trust, and it's a confusing and frustrating thing, just the results of the after effects. And, and sometimes I get an emotional ambush. You know what an emotional ambush is, don't you? It's when you, you're not thinking about anything, and all of a sudden you're sitting down, and, and, you're, and, and a thought comes to mind, and something comes out of the blue, and it kind of cuts your feet out from under you. I was telling somebody this morning, you know, I sat down last night about 7 o'clock in, in a chair just to do a little bit of studying and, and, and I thought, I need to get up and call my dad and then I realized he's not there. That's stress. Some of you are going through stress in, in your job and in job changes and moving and relocation and then uh, uncertainty about your job. There's an amount of stress that comes with this church about to move into a building program for all of us. It will be stressful. How we handle it is very important. It was interesting that this week with Dr. Wiersbe, he talked about faith, and every illustration he used was about building. I thought, you know, this guy's been reading my mail. Uh, you know, it, it, but he said, you know, he said, here's what happens to you. And he and I were talking one morning. He said, here's what happens to you. A building program either brings the best out of your people or it brings the worst. It depends on where their focus is. Job change... Your husband tells you he doesn't love you anymore. Your kids rebel against you. Those are stressful situations. You're waiting for a doctor's appointment. You're not sure what the doctor is going to say. Your stress level goes up. Stress can be defined this way. Stress is the gap between the demands placed on me and the strength that I have to meet those demands. Stress is the gap between the demands placed on me and the strength that I have or think I have to meet those demands. It's this vacuum that we feel like we've lost control and, and my can-do can't keep up with my want-to. You know, as we get older, it's not that we don't want to do some things, it's that there are just some things we can't do. You know, when I realize that you know, I wasn't as fast as I used to be if I ever was fast. Uh, I don't think as quickly. You know, you have to make up for it in some areas. And, and you start to build stress in your life. and You think, you know, I know what I want to do, but I just can't do it anymore. We were in the Billy Graham offices on Wednesday, right? It was Wednesday. And uh, talking to T.W. Wilson, who's been Dr. Graham's uh, associate right-hand man for... The last 45 years and we were in his office, all of us as a staff were in his office for 20-30 minutes and uh, he said, you know, he said, Dr. Graham is will be 80 in November. He said his vision and his passion is as strong as it has ever been, but he physically just can't do it anymore. And he has to take care of himself and he has to watch himself. That can create stress. When you have a passion to reach a world, and you physically can only preach two meetings now in your life to keep your health up, that can create stress. It's the gap between the demands that are placed on us and the strength we have to meet those demands. When I think about stress, I think about driving in Manhattan in 5 o'clock traffic. You have not lived until you've tried to get through Manhattan and go down Broadway at 5 o'clock in the afternoon especially when one of your passengers needs to stop and go to the restroom. And you can't stop and go to the restroom in Manhattan at 5 o'clock. Stress was watching Tony drive the van this week with us behind him, and he almost rear-ended a car because he looked off in Atlanta traffic at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and we're just all we could say was, Dear Jesus, help. And he weaved just in time to miss. That was stressful. The next thing that happened was the phone ringing in the van. Tony, keep your eyes on the road. (laughs) We would like to keep the new church van for a season longer. That was stressful. All of us deal with stress. All of us have moments when it seems like we're about to collapse. All of us have those times when we want to run away or get away or we do run away. That's why you take a vacation because you need to get away from it all for a while. You need a change of scenery. You need a change of pace. You need a change in the air that you're breathing and the surroundings. And you go and you get away from the phone for a while. Why? Because you're stressed out. Because you're overwhelmed with the burdens of life. Stress is a way of life. It's not an exception. It's a rule of life. How we deal with it is so very important because what Satan wants to do is he wants to pound us down with all the pressures and all the problems, and then when he gets us down where we don't have the will to fight anymore, then he runs over us. And we're stressed out and we're burned out, and you read all kinds of magazine articles on it and all kinds of studies on it and the ulcers of our society and the anxiety attacks that people have. I want to give you two prescriptions. Sometimes I, I like to do this because my dad was a pharmacist and it helps me remember because if you get a prescription and you get it filled and you take it as directed, it'll usually help you. First prescription is an Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Great f- verses, familiar verses. The problem with us with familiar verses is we know them but we don't always live them. We hear somebody quote John 3, 16, oh, I know that. I got, I got that one down. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a familiar verse. Oh, yeah, I know that. I've had that marked in my Bible for years. But what's the difference between where it's marked in your Bible and where it's marked your life? You see, there could be a great gap between what you know and what you do. And God wants to mark our lives with these verses, and so I want to read them to you, and let's read them again. And if you can, try to pretend like you've never heard it before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him He will make your path straight. Four verbs, four action words, four things that you have to do. First of all, trust. It's a command. It's a command. Your responsibility, if you're going to deal with stress, is to trust in the Lord. The, The word means to throw yourself down on the ground and surrender. When you trust in God, you lay down on the ground and surrender. You're helpless to get up and do anything for yourself. You see, we always have one more road of escape, one more avenue where we've got it figured out, one more day that we think we can handle the pressure. The proverb writer says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is not half-hearted. It's, it's not occasional. It's with everything that you have. When the Scripture talks about the heart, it talks about your mind, your emotions, and your will. It's not talking about that thing that beats inside of you that you get a bypass on if you get old enough. It's your mind and your emotions and your will. And he says, you're to trust God with all your heart, not just in a moment in a worship service, not just on occasion, not just when you're desperate. At every moment, at every time, you throw yourself down in trust in the Lord. The second command, do not lean. Don't use your own understanding as a crutch. The Word is a a crutch. Don't don't crutch yourself. Don't support yourself with your ability to figure it out. If God has done anything with me in the last few years, it is that God has taken me and reminded me He doesn't need my ability to figure it out. What He needs is my availability to His Word and to His will. God doesn't need Michael Catt to put all the plates in the right place. He just needs me to trust in him with all my heart and to not lean on my own understanding. See, what God spends a lot of time with me, he may spend it with you. God's trying to get me to change the way I think. You know, I'm self-sufficient. I was born in America. I know how to do things. You know, you pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and you you hit your britches and you go to work and you, you just tough it out. And God says, quit thinking that way. Trust me. Quit leaning on what you learned in school. Quit leaning on on all the skills that you think you have. Just trust yourself in me. Lean on me. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your ability to figure it out. Don't limit it to what you know. When you think that way, that's not God's way of thinking. In fact, when, when you start to understand the Christian life, usually whatever you think you ought to do, do the opposite, and that's probably what God wants you to do because usually we figure out how we can help God out, and God doesn't need our help. It's not God plus anything. He says, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't try to work things out on your own. Then he gives a third command, acknowledge. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, in everything you do, in your daily habit pattern, in your ways, in your walk. As you go about your daily business, acknowledge Him. It's a command to recognize Him. To mentally call to mind the promises of God and the principles of God given to you, like this verse. Now, those are three commands for us. Then there's a responsibility and a promise that God gives, and He will make your path straight. It is a word picture of removing the obstacles He'll remove the obstacles. He'll remove the pressure. He'll make sure that the road is smooth for you. He'll make it right for you. It's a a verb of intensity, and it means that when you trust and do not lean and acknowledge, God will intensely get involved in your life and straighten out your path. God will take control of the situation and he will move in your behalf as you trust and as you lean on him and not on yourself and as you acknowledge his commands and his words and as you remind him of his promises to you, God will make your path straight. He will do it. It doesn't say he might do it or you can hope he'll figure it out. There's a promise here. God's responsibility is to act in proportion to to our obedience to those three commands. Now, I want you to notice something. You are the key to all of this. Four times, he says, your, your heart, your own understanding, your ways, and your path. You see, it's your choice to take the medicine. If you don't take it, it won't work. You have to take the medicine for it to work. And it's your path, your life, your understanding, and you are the key to what God does because God acts in proportion to your ability to throw your trust on Him. There's a New Testament capsule. This is a real small one, Philippians 4.13, but it takes us a lifetime to figure it out. You know this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that amazing? Paul didn't say, I can do some things. Paul didn't say, you know what, boy, through the life and through my years and through all the events of my life, I can tell you, almost every time I've needed him, God's been there. You know, most of the time, God's really come through for me. There have been some occasions when I had to fall back on all that learning I had as a Jew. There's been some times when I had to come back into all the resources that I had developed in my life. But for the most part, since I've been saved, God's been kind of there to help me. It's not what Paul said. Paul said, I can, not I hope I can, not I wish I can, not I might can, I can do all things, not conditional except on one thing. It's through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Paul lived a stressed out life. Paul wrote most of his letters in prison. The reason he was in prison, as the only way that God could get him to slow down long enough to write something down. He was always busy wanting to go on another trip and on another journey and plan another church. And God said, you know, I want to slow that boy down. So he put him in prison to do it. And most of the epistles that we have from Paul, we have from his time in prison. Paul wrote letters from prison and said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In prison? If I'd written a letter from prison, I'd said, get my lawyer. Call my lawyer. Does anybody know anybody that can get me out of this? When you come to visit me on Saturday, bring cookies. Bring a cake with a file in it. I mean, you know, do something. The last thing I would have done in prison would have been to have written a letter to say, Christ is all sufficient, and Christ is sufficient for you who are not in prison right now. But undergoing persecution, some of them. Paul is a reminder to us that there was a strength that was not his own. Remember where he said, I've learned to be content? In all circumstances, the word content means to be satisfied to the point of not being fretful. Now, you know what fretful is, don't you? Fretful is you don't have that one ingredient you need to finish that thing you're cooking for lunch. Any of you ladies ever been fretful? Uh huh. Fretful is you need to change the diaper and there are no diapers in the house. (laughs) That's fretful. Fretful is you got an appointment with the IRS and you're stuck in traffic. That's fretful. Paul says, I've learned to be content. I'm not fretful. I'm not disturbed by my circumstances. I'm not uptight about events. I I am content and satisfied to the point where I just don't let things worry me. I tell you, people like that bother me. They just look too at peace. But Paul said, you're supposed to be that way. You're not supposed to let things get under your skin. You're not supposed to let things agitate you. You're not supposed to let things push you to your last nerve. You're not supposed to let things just absorb you and destroy you. You're supposed to be content in all situations. Paul, I can't do that. You're right. You can't, but he can. It's through Christ. It's through an inner strength that you know nothing of. And you see, one of the sad things about... The Christian life that, that I see from a ministry perspective is that people who know the Word, but they don't know how to live it. The most dangerous thing we can do is just take a lot of notes and write down a lot of principles and, and mark up our Bibles, but never live what the Word of God says. And we know Philippians 4.13, but do we live it? We, we can quote it, we can spout the Scripture, but can we stand on it and stand in it? Well, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to read some verses where Paul talks about his stressful ministry. Paul had stress. I worry about these people who say, oh, if you become a Christian, you won't have any problems. Listen, every problem Paul had was because he was saved and accepted a call to ministry. When you get saved, you're going to have problems. The difference is if you're not saved, you don't have anybody to help you through them. When you are saved, it's Christ in you to help you with them. There's a whole difference in how you deal with problems, and it's whether you're trying to deal with it or God on the inside is helping you deal with it. Now, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, and I want to read this in light of the fact that this is not the only thing Paul ever wrote. Okay, so I'm going to read it in light of the fact this is not the only thing Paul ever wrote. And so as you follow along, Listen to it this way. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I am more so. In far more labors, I can do all things through Christ. In far more imprisonments, I can do all things through Christ. Beaten times without number, I can do all things through Christ. Often in danger of death, I can do all things through Christ. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, I can do all things through Christ. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, a spent in the deep. I can do all things through Christ. I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers from the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren, but I can still do all things through Christ. I can face all these dangers. Through Christ who strengthens me. I have been in labor and hardship, but I can do all things through Christ. Through many sleepless nights, I can do all things through Christ. In hunger and thirst, I can still do all things through Christ. Often without food and in cold exposure, I can do all things through Christ. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. And yet, I can do all things Through Christ. Five times he was beaten with lashes, 39 times. That was 195 lashes. Paul's whole body was scar tissue. Three times beaten with rods, solid, unyielding rods across his back. He was stoned and left for dead. That was Acts chapter 14. Three times he was shipwrecked. We only know of one, and that was in Acts chapter 27. Verse 26, he gives us eight different kinds of perils. In verse 27, he talks about physical and mental exhaustion. And he says, in all of it, I have learned to be content. And did you notice that two times he said, often. This didn't just happen occasionally. It was Paul's way of life. I mean, can you imagine? Holy Spirit shows up and says, Paul, I want you to go on a missionary journey. Great. More beatings, more no food, more sleepless nights. Probably going to get shipwrecked on this one too. May get beaten up, going to end up in prison. I can do all things through Christ. You see, folks, God never calls you to do anything that he does not equip you to do it. And it's not up to you to handle the stress. It's up to you to give the stress to Christ who can handle the stress. You see, I'm not sufficient in myself to do what God has called me to do. I can't do it. I would break under it. I would like to run from it. There have been times when I've asked God to let me do anything but what I do because of the pressure that I feel sometimes and God has to keep reminding me, it's not you, it's me. I do it. You're just the vessel. You're just the tool. You're just the instrument. It's not you, it's me, it's not your strength. It's my strength. It's not your ability. It's my ability. It's my power inside of you. Paul is writing to give us the promises of God, and the secret is based on the inner strength of the risen Christ. Now, if Christ is still dead, there is no strength. But if Christ is risen, then the strength inside of me is the same strength in which Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I don't do it in my strength and my ability to overcome. I do it in the strength of the one who overcame death and hell and the grave and will one day sit on a throne exalted and every knee is going to bow down before him and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That same Christ has infused in me his strength. Not my strength. His strength. I tell you there are times when, when I sit over there, and Dr. Wearsby talked about it this week, there are times when I sit over there and I don't know if I'm going to make it through the second service. And there are times when I walk in here after preaching my heart out on Sunday morning on Sunday night and I think, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I'm going to tell you something. From that chair to this pulpit, something happens to me. It's the strength of God. And I can be weak and miserable. My back has been killing me all morning. But from the time I step to this pulpit until the time I get through, it probably won't be hurting. Now, it may start in a minute, but right now it's not bothering me at all. But I could hardly walk this morning when I came in because of my lower back. But you know what? It's not me. It's Christ who strengthens me to make me do what I need to do. You see, God's strength is for your need. God doesn't strengthen you where you don't have a need. God strengthens you where you have a need. And he says, my strength is sufficient. He strengthens me. That word means into me. He strengthens into me himself. Christ is not our example. He is not our role model. He's not our hero. Jesus Christ is in us. God in us, the Holy Spirit... I don't know how he did it, but I know he did it. Let's say you take a pot of boiling water and you look at it and it's just H2O, boiling. But you take one little tea bag and you put it in that boiling water and what happens to it? Water becomes tea. It changes flavor, It changes content. There are new dimensions to it. There's a new color to it. Everything about it changes. Why? Because you've infused something into the boiling water, and the boiling water draws out that tea into the water, and it doesn't make 90% of it tea. It makes all of it tea, doesn't it? Everything is changed in that water by the infusion of one bag into boiling water. When the Holy Spirit came inside you, he infused you with that which, when you will allow it to happen, will permeate every part of your being, your hands, your eyes, your feet, your attitude, your walk, your talk. It'll take over everything about your life, your heart, your mind, your soul, and your will, and it will infuse you with strength to do whatever God wants you to do and to face whatever comes your way. Say, I don't know if I could face that. When you get there, you'll be able to. You may never have to face that. You see people say, oh, I tell you, I, I just couldn't go through that. You may never have to go through that. But if you do, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you'll be able to face it. You'll be able to stand in the strength of Christ. According to Mark chapter 2, verse 8, and Matthew chapter 9, and verse 4, the heart is a place for reasoning and thinking and planning. Mark two eight and Matthew nine four. It's where we think, it's where we reason. But according to Matthew eighteen thirty five and Luke eight fifteen, the heart is where the emotions are found. He says it's a place for thinking and reasoning and planning. But he says in another place, the heart is where the emotions are found. Then in Mark chapter eight and verse seventeen, in Luke chapter twenty one and verse fourteen, in Acts chapter eleven and verse twenty three, he says the heart is the center of the will. Mind, emotions, will. So in these remaining minutes, I want us to look at what it takes for you to overcome stress. First of all, it is an emotional response. Doesn't stress affect us emotionally? I mean, we get on edge, you know, start getting little twitches, you know. I mean, we... I, t- I told the early crowd to say, you know how you're using too much caffeine is when you start using no-dose for tic Tacs. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean we just, you know, we 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 try to run faster and try harder. we get affected, we get uptight, we pick up the phone, yes.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, we're just I mean, we're just uptight. We're stressed out. We need to calm down, we need to get energy we get tired of the rat race so we accept a promotion and go run with bigger rats you know why baby boomers are, are, are stressed out baby boomers are stressed out because they're reaching a point where they're deciding this massive age group is reaching this point where they're deciding okay we've climbed the wall but why? Do I really want all this? Do I really need all this? Does it really matter? And they're not content. They're stressed out. Saw a picture on the front of USA Today this week. The stock market went down. This woman had this look on her face like she'd a deer in the headlight look. Boy, you know what I mean? Ah, stress. Constant stress. You work for companies and they just put you in stressful situation after stressful situation, uptight. So finally one day you just come and you just collapse before God and you say, God, I am so tired of this. I'm so tired of dealing with this. I'm so weary. I'm so strung out and worn out and uptight. And I just want to give it to you. And the Lord releases you from you and say, Boy, this is great. This is great. It may have been a concert, it may have been a revival, it may have been in a worship service, but you make an emotional response to God. But you see, emotional responses will not be kept because you have to bring your will into it. It's not enough to just walk down the aisle and feel better and kneel down and say, Oh, God, I give this to you now. It's, God, I've got to get up and I've got to choose to do something different with my life. I've got to respond to you differently than I responded to you before. I've got to quit taking all this stuff in, and I've got to let you release me from it. It's an emotional response. And there's nothing quite like the weight being lifted off. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? I mean, just like when God just takes all those bricks and all that weight off your shoulders, and you just kind of go, man, I can breathe again. I mean, my chest isn't tight anymore. I can actually breathe. I feel like I'm alive again. But you'll quit if that's where you stop. You will not carry it out. If the mind and will are not committed, you'll be unbalanced in your Christian life, and you'll always be looking for an emotional experience to get you over the hump. And emotion can only carry you so far. And so there has to be a second thing. It has to be a decision of the mind. Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, said, We are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, this is the test of my emotional response. Am I taking every thought captive? Lord, am I thinking the way you want me to think about this? Am I responding the way you want me to respond? Am I receiving this the way you want me to receive it? Am I acting the way you want me to act here? every thought captive. Not just the thoughts that I'm willing to re- yield to him, but the thoughts that even I think I can control. But I can't. Taking every thought captive. You see, this is the test if you move beyond just an emotional decision. That you're willing to settle it in your mind. But there's a third thing. heart is emotion, mind, and will. It's the act of the will. I choose to let God do this. I choose to trust in the Lord with all my heart and to lean not on my own understanding and in all my ways to acknowledge Him so that He might direct my path. I trust that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You say, well, you don't know what I'm going through, but God does. You don't know what's out there ahead of me. How can you say that? God's already out there ahead of you. You don't know what I feel. God knows what you feel. You don't know how hard it is for me. God knows how hard it is. Listen, until you've been to a cross and died for the world, don't tell God how hard it is. You see, Christ has paid the ultimate price so that he can take that bondage and that weight and that burden off of you and he can lift it off and carry it for you. You're going to wear yourself out and die too early if you try to carry the burdens of your life and the stress of your life on your own. You've got to let him carry it. You've got to let him deal with it. You know, and, and, and I have seen how God has been doing this in my own life. And I've had to take the stress of the situations of this year and I've just had to lay it before God. And I've had to take situations that I couldn't control and I've had to just lay it for God. All right, Lord, nothing I can do about this. And what God is just continually teaching me, and I'm, one of these days I'm going to learn a lesson and I'm going to take some more pressure off. What God's continually teaching me is how little of my life I have control over anyway. But he has control over it all. You see, I don't have to go to the mountains of North Carolina to breathe the mountain air and wake up in the morning when it's 95 down here and it's 58 up there. I don't have to go there to get my stress relieved. This book right here tells me how to relieve my stress. What I have to do is I have to get in it and I have to choose to accept what it says. I have to obey what it says. And I have to willfully make a choice. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to walk here. I'm not going to act like this. I'm going to act like this. I'm not going to respond this way. I'm going to respond the way God says I'm supposed to respond. And you know, when I do it His way, it's a whole lot less stressful. Because then if everything doesn't go right, it's not my problem. He's the one in charge. He's the one that said that you're to walk in His ways. He will direct our path. He'll guide us and He'll lead us. Well, Lord, I can't figure it out. Don't lean on your own understanding. Well, Lord, just some things I'd like to point out to you here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In every way, acknowledge Him. And He'll make your path straight.
1: We're glad that you have joined us for the Sherwood Hour from Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. If you would like a copy of today's service, please send us your name and address to the Sherwood Hour, 2201 Whispering Pines Road, Albany, Georgia, 31707. That's the Sherwood Hour, 2201 Whispering Pines Road in Albany, Georgia, zip code 31707. If you would like a videotape of our worship celebration, kindly enclose $10 with your order. Or if you would like an audio cassette of our pastor's message, enclose $3 with your order. Remember to include your complete name, address, and telephone number. And ask for the tape number that you see on the screen. We would enjoy hearing from you by mail or by phone. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to visit with us here at Sherwood. And we hope that you'll join us again next week at this time for the Sherwood Hour from Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia.